interesting episodes coming up, I think. It's no surprise to anybody that I have a bit of an obsession with self-tracking technologies really? and yeah. <laughs> what they're, uh, what they mean for the future of data gathering and our, our personal uh, metrics and so forth. And I have a Fitbit, an earlier model Fitbit that I... Um, Which you no longer wear. I don't wear it any longer because I felt like it was the most beneficial for getting like a snapshot of how you actually spend your time and what your fitness levels are. And I find like, unless I have a specific fitness goal, it doesn't, you know, there's not a lot of utility for it for me. I know some people really like it, but for me, I I wear it if I'm like, okay, I'm going to go on a bike trip or something. So I want to improve X amount of training, but I don't really do it on a regular Mm -hmm. basis. Anyway, in general, I like Fitbit. There were a couple of uh, announcements about Fitbit uh, in particular that came out over the summer that I thought were kind of interesting. And one picks up on the subscription model thing that you were talking about before, where you know, you're buying the hardware, which is the Fitbit smartwatch or the Fitbit fitness tracker. But they're also launching this thing that they call Fitbit Premium, which is this subscription model that you pay for that does huge amounts of analysis on the data collected from not just you, but from all of its users, and then use that to spit out personalized recommendations. Yes. So it made me sick. (laughs) <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get into why I made you sick shortly. So there's one thing is the <laughs> one thing is the subscription model, and the other one is um, just the number of sort of partnerships that it's kind of yes. connecting with. For instance, insurance providers. This is nothing new. Where some insurance providers will. Um, cut deal with employers, for example, if their employees will use fitness trackers to improve their health and so forth. But some of them were really surprising, like with the smartwatch, which is the Versa 2, it's even doing these partnerships that allow you to do things like if you use your Fitbit Pay, which is a payment thing with your wrist, pay for the Staten Island bus. So it's some really interesting, like there's some natural partnerships, like health partnerships, but also some really surprising partnerships, like paying for the bus, which I guess is tangentially related, I think, because if you're taking the bus, then you're probably also walking as well as opposed to driving your car everywhere. Um, But I thought that both of those things were harbingers of two things. One is the increasing tying of our uh, hardware that we buy to subscription models for things, much as you see Apple doing the same thing, moving into more of their subscription content. But on the other hand, the idea of forming these partnerships and bringing health data in particular, but data in general into these kind of like hubs where I think you're going to start to see like, okay, here's the, the Apple hub, here's the Fitbit hub, here's the Google hub, et cetera. I hope all these different hubs will talk to one another, especially if they're dealing with health information. Mm-hmm. The one thing that I found very interesting was is that Fitbit Premium will also give users the option to access a certified health and wellness coach. This coach will have access to the user's granular health data. Yeah, that's from the Wired article. Yeah, I kind of like that and how people manage things like hypertension and diabetes. Mm-hmm. But then my next note is, Hmm. <laughs> I can because see it, folks. She's really written, hmm, question mark question on the mark. paper. Yeah, because they're talking about, oh, rather than relying on your memory or taking notes when you go and see your doctor, you know, we will have all the information for you. And then the thing that made me absolutely wild was the sleep score. Mm-hmm. In fact, it says right on my notes. Fuck, it yes. says. <laughs> with an exclamation mark. <laughs> It's going to track your heart. It's going to track how many times you get up in the night, how many times your sleep is interrupted, mm-hmm. all of this stuff. 
talk about a way to make yourself anxious in the morning, mm -hmm. number one, and these machines are going to be everywhere listening to us, collecting our data, and then feeding it back to God knows who, to all these different, as you, all these different, as you were saying, hubs. And why do you have a problem with that? You know what? It's all you. being fed back to the matrix. The point you raise, I think, is super important, which is like, what is the regulatory system that governs all this data, right? Yeah, like, because like, look at Facebook and all things like that that have just run rampant. But I think the thing with once these fitness trackers are connected to the health system, then the rules around privacy and health govern them. In the States, for example, they have this thing called HIPAA, I think it's called, which is like the privacy and data regulations that govern all the health things. Yeah. So in the case of these things where something like Fitbit is actually working with your healthcare uh, professional, like your doctor, I think there's a potentially a real value. Like if you have a condition that you're wanting to monitor and you can see like the this reliable data is flagging, hey, every third Tuesday your heart rate goes crazy or something, if you're monitoring a chronic condition. The, at least in the States, everything I understand from my brother who lives down there, anything that goes to the doctors also goes to the insurance providers. Mm -hmm. And it can cause you all manner of trouble. Because I thought I was getting a little bit of a shaking head. And I told my brother about it. And I think I was imagining it. Now that I have the dog, I don't have the shaking head anymore. Mm -hmm. But he said, don't say anything to your doctor about it because they might yank your license thinking that you have some sort of um, a neurological disorder, oh, yeah. Yeah. you know, you see, and it was a really good piece of advice. And I just be, <laughs> unless you have a neurological disorder, well, what don't. do you mean? I don't know. Like I said in my notes, it's all being fed back to the matrix. And as long as it's going just to healthcare providers and not to insurance companies, yeah. which I highly doubt. In Canada and in the United States, the, the specifics around what governs health data are a little bit more clear than they are from just say, your regular social media things and, and yeah. what can be done with your data. All the different machines that are going to be scoring us and reading us and taking our data, I just think we've got to make sure that the horse is heading towards the right barn, towards the safe barn, and not towards the, ooh, we've Dystopian got nightmare barn. Exactly. And that's <laughs> I don't I'm, like that barn. <laughs> no, and that, this made me go straight to this dystopian nightmare yeah. barn. But I think, but, you know, what I always come back to with the, with the data stuff, and, you know, which goes back to the book, is like, I think that the power of that data is potentially too valuable to just sort of say, forget it. I think yeah. it's, it's about figuring out what the right regulatory environment is. Although I do share your concern about the potential for the obsessive neurotic scab picking of yeah. like, ah, what am I sleeping well enough? I'm sleeping. Cause one thing sleep experts always say is like, do not look at your alarm clock. Yes. Do not stress up about it. Just get up, read quietly in, in a, you know, dimish room or whatever. And, and, and don't like obsess about it. But now, now this is Kind of a bit of a bummer story, but also a bit of a positive <laughs> story in that I guess there was, um, it's called a DARA report, that human activities could cause one million species to go extinct. But there is a new exhibition that's going on at the Cooper Hewitt Smithsonian Design Museum in Manhattan and the um, the Cube Design Museum in the Netherlands, mm -hmm. talking about how we can maybe pull the emergency brake or start to undo some of the damage. The main thing I took away from this, and I'm starting to find more and more as I look around the world, governments and corporations can't and won't protect the planet. Hmm. There's just too many different variables involved. There's too many political variables involved, and there's too many fiscal variables involved. So it's really up to the people to do it. 
and for artists to do it. What this particular exhibit wants to show is, these are the themes, this are to understand nature, to simulate it, to salvage it, remediate it, and augment it, which I thought was really cool. And the pieces are like um, art made of corn husks and vertical farms for butterflies that can be hung on skyscrapers. Did you read about that? I did. So it seemed like the idea was to kind of use art and design in particular as a way of thinking about how can we protect species, right? That's, yeah. yeah. So so in a way, thinking about the role that technology, broadly understood, can play in um, supporting the diversity of species. Yeah. 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 Because, well, they explained sort of what it was like to walk through the exhibit. And then when you first walk in, it's like, um, I hope all of us have seen fireflies at night. Mm -hmm. And it's like you walk into this space where it looks like all these little fireflies are caught in these light bulbs and they just flicker and flicker and well, it's like returning to childhood. But then they take you into a place. It shows, you know, Adidas sneakers made of ocean plastic and ink made from air pollution and things like that. And that was like, oh yeah, and the last, I guess the last white rhino died last year and they recreated that. In addition to chronicling the horrors that we've done, it also focuses on what we can do with the resources mm -hmm. that we have. And it's things like the silk dress, but it's made from injecting silkworm eggs uh -huh. with jellyfish and coral and a carbon negative plastic raincoat that's also made from algae-based, your favorite word, polymers. Ooh. Yeah, but imagine that. That's like that, you know, that mushroom knapsack that I have. Yeah. You know, that mat nap. Although some of that is sounding a bit like the dystopian barn as well. It's like you're injecting silkworms with no, but, DNA. No, but, no, but it's actually the algae suck carbon dioxide out of the air as they grow, making the coat both a fashion statement and a stash of formerly airborne carbon. That is so cool. Yeah, well, I mean, I thought it was a really interesting uh, idea. I'm not sure I would agree with you that it's up to artists and individual people to solve the problem of... I think this kind of thing can be helpful as like a provocation and a way of getting people to think creatively about how do we, as they, I think, say in the Gizmodo article that you're quoting from, how do we get ourselves to think in a new way about our relationship to nature and, you know, we're not going to just turn back the clock to 200 years ago, so how do we think about new approaches to design yeah. technology as a way of, like, resetting our relationship with nature? I agree with all that, and I think, like, as a way of thinking aesthetically and intellectually, it's important, but I still go back to governments. And I don't think so. Hmm. I've lost my faith in government mm -hmm. because they're just not in power long enough to actually be able to exact change. That's my Probably opinion. not, but I don't know. You think a bunch of artists can do it? If you and I and everyone else in the city of Toronto wakes up tomorrow and we like believe fervently in using technology to reset our relationship with nature, then what happens? Somehow we have to make, like, make the corporations... Well, you have to have a figurehead who goes out and talks about it and promotes this idea right. and then gets the artists behind them. And, you know, people like friend, you know, somebody like your friend Mark, the um, technologian, or mm -hmm. the, and, you know, and just get a bunch of like-minded people together to think about the problems. Or like, you know, that little girl from Sweden, mm -hmm. you know, who came over here on some completely earth-friendly boat to attend the UN. Well, certainly, I mean, I agree with you that, uh, like, as a raising awareness approach and a way of, like, I, and I do believe that art has a really 
profound role to play in changing our thinking about well, the way no, our world is. The whole show is talking about the power of design to improve our lives together as human beings. But it's not design alone. We can't just say, oh, the companies will take care of it. Government will take care of that. We all need to think and talk to one another about what we can do to save the planet. Yeah, I agree with that. But just because that's what Gizmodo says doesn't mean it's right. <laughs> it's it like... is right. What government do you know that would do that? Well, I agree with you that there's a problem in that obviously governments are not acting to protect, never mind climate change, just in this particular case, we're talking about species diversity. But I'm not sure that just changing people's mind, I don't know. I don't think that's enough by itself is what I'm saying. <laughs> but nonetheless, I would. what I would say to you is that I was just in Newfoundland and hypocrite alert I took a plane to Newfoundland but anyway it was we were in rural Newfoundland uh, on the coast and it was a really profound experience of reconnecting with nature and reconnecting with what I especially noticed was the way you know the land you're on these shorelines with rocks that are 400 million years old there's this deep stillness and deep eternity there at the same time as the env- the environment around you is in a constant state of flux, right? The sea is constantly roiling, the wind is constantly blowing, the grass is constantly moving in this beautiful dance. You know, the moss and the lichen are growing, et cetera, et cetera. And it was really, I realized, as I often do when I'm outside of the big cities, like how disconnected we are from understanding our deep relationship to nature and how easy it is for us to get disconnected from our deep connection to nature and from our understanding that we're animals. So we do, it's not that I think this is a dumb idea. It's just that I... That was beautiful, Nora. (laughs) I'm serious. That was beautiful. Uh, It was was very nice to you. Thank you, darling. So I guess that's it for this edition, huh? That is. Okay. Thanks for listening. I hope that you'll rate us on iTunes if you like the show and check out the links on your phone or at thesniffer.net. Yeah, or call us. We're both available for dates. Well, no, just (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Bye.